How are you doing, you wonderful nerds? Scott here. Just give me one or two minutes of your time here at the intro before we jump into today's episode. This episode is actually recorded in on the 29th of October, so if you hear me mention that it's day 29, it was at the time we recorded it, but then I had a business trip on the 30th, and uh, I didn't get back until just a couple days ago, so that is why uh, the whole end of October was just kind of given up on towards the end of this podcast. And in fact, if you look at how many episodes we've actually released over October, I think it's around 22 or so. Uh, And I promised you guys that you would get 31 episodes of this podcast. So even though October is over, I say let's keep it going through November, potentially December, and just sprinkle in the remaining episodes until we hit that magic number of 31 when we will give this podcast a proper send-off and not just abandon ship without making much of a fuss about it. I'm going to make all the fuss about it when we hit episode 31 because I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that I can get a guest from the movie on for that final episode. I'm working on it. I'm working really hard, working my connections. Hopefully we can make that happen. But yes, we're going to keep it going. It's not going to be daily. Again, they might be sprinkled out throughout November, maybe a little December when I get the time. But we will end it with 31 episodes. And it's going to be a grand old time. And I guess that's really all I had to say. So go ahead and listen to this episode now. It's a good episode. We recorded it weeks ago. Okay, thanks, gang. This is tied for the most terrifying day of my life. I was lost every other freaking day of my life. <laughs> How are you doing, you wonderful nerds? Scott here, and it is day 29 of the Month of Monsters podcast, a Scooby-Doo podcast, where I am watching Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed every day for the entire month of October, and the end is in sight, which is both uh, very uh, nice to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but also uh, kind of kind of makes me look back and question why I even started this in the first place, because it has been a nightmare, but I'm glad you've been along for the ride. We have a couple more days to go. And one of my favorite things about doing this ridiculous podcast idea is talking with cool people from the internet. And today we have Matthew Buck. How's it going, man? It's going fantastic. Yeah. So for people who don't know, what kind of stuff do you do on the internet? I do film reviews on the internet. I do a show called Bad Movie Beatdown, which is pretty self-explanatory. And I do another show called Projector, which looks at films that have opened in the UK before they do in the US. Ooh, that's good. Any exciting stuff that we should be looking forward to? Well, I've just watched Bohemian Rhapsody, and I I quite like that. It was fairly standard music biopic, but I'm looking forward to tackling that i've got a brand new bad movie beatdown episode out later this week and it's a double crossover so i've I've got loads of stuff going on at the minute (laughs) you seem far more productive than i that's something that i've noticed is every time i talk to other internet creators i'm sitting here and I'm just like, wow, everyone's way more productive than I am. It feels like everyone's like pumping out stuff and I'm just sitting here watching Scooby-Doo 2. Well, isn't that, the curse, yeah. the, that, isn't that the curse of being a creator in that you're constantly comparing yourself to other creators? Yeah. <laughs> 
going, oh, yeah. well, I'm productive, but I'm not sure if people are actually listening or watching. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, no. exactly. It's it, Well, for me, it's like I, I can see how much work I'm getting done on the back end, but I'm also just incredibly slow. Like I have a bunch of friends who are who can make re- like they're super fast editors and they can like pump out videos in a couple hours and that are like really well done. And like for me, I, I just like to work at a comfortable pace. So I'm just like, yeah, I'll just... I'll work for like, you know, eight or nine hours at a time and maybe get some things done, but, uh, (laughs) and then feel completely exhausted by the end of it and be like, wow, I got to take a break. And I'll look back at the progress I've made. And it's like something that my friends could do in maybe an hour. And I'm just like, oh, I'm not good at this, am I? Well, maybe slow and steady wins the race, you know, quality is king, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know for me, at least I've been trying, uh, really hard to, uh, to not overwork myself and just like, you know what? I'm just going to take it at my own pace and have fun with it. Have a grand old time. And I think that's been a fun thing for me so far. Uh, as long we'll as you're having how, fun, that's good. Yeah, we'll see how the audience likes it when I don't <laughs> post things for like a month at a time. But uh, we shall see. Well, anyway, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. And no uh I we were discussing this before we started recording, but you've seen this movie before. You saw it in theaters, and you remember seeing the trailers and everything for it. Yeah, yeah. This is probably my third time watching this movie. I actually I feel old because I remember when this movie came out. I actually saw both of the Scooby Doo movies theatrically when they came out. Uh, I I definitely saw this in cinemas. I remember it at the time. I even remember the trailers coming out for it because even though i was 13 when this film came out i was part of a movie trailer forum so i was actually sort of tracking the progress of this movie (laughs) coming out because you know i was young loved movie trailers so i would watch all of them yeah (laughs) and um i I did see this again fairly recently before this podcast because i recorded it off tv because it it just amused me because it was on TV at three o'clock in the morning. You know, yeah, the peak demographic for that movie. That's when they're awake. Yes. It, it's clearly some sort of like rights burning situation, but it just <laughs> really, really amused me, especially because they, um, the pre-recorded announcement was something like, and with scenes that might scare small children. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, the ones that are awake at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> that's incredible i wonder what scenes they're talking about because there's not a whole lot in this movie that i will say this the the thing that i've been saying a bunch is i do think the ten thousand volt ghost is is genuinely terrifying in a lot Mm. of aspects but that's really about it i think well i i think when i was watching this movie this time knowing that i was going to be on the podcast I was trying to think about what I was going to say about it. And one of the first things that I did think about, knowing my previous experience with having seen this sequel, in fact, probably more than the original, I'm not sure if I actually have gone back to the original at some point, is that it does feel a lot more sort of kid-orientated this time out than the first one did. 
Yeah, you're that absolutely definitely, right about that. That yeah. definitely feels like a studio mandate. It feels like a response to the first movie, which, of course, legendarily was written as something much more adult and trying to send up the material and was kind of neutered down into the sort of PG family mold that it ended up being made as, even while they were in production on it, as I understand it. And yeah. this one, they clearly were setting out for that particular demographic from the very outset. And so I think the tone is quite different here. And yeah. so I think the way that you can tell is that the story is very monster focused because yeah. kids love that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it, the tone between the two of them. The first one feels like it's. You know, just even by comparison, it feels like a little more, you know, quote unquote, adult. It's not really, but it feels that it feels like you're taking the Scooby-Doo characters and you're putting them into kind of a pseudo realistic environment. Whereas this just feels like it's just a it's just a cartoon. It's just a live action cartoon, basically. That is basically it. I mean, the first movie had a lot more sort of knowing winks. Like there's yeah. some there's some weed jokes with Shaggy. <laughs> there's some kind of like risque humor going on at certain points. There's the one joke at the very beginning of the movie where there's sort of in the second one where there's a very oblique sort of weed reference where Shaggy's coming out of the van and the groupies, he sort of sniffs them out. That's right. And that's obviously meant to be a sort of implied, uh, oh yeah, oh, I get it's it. It's his but, crowd. I wonder what they smell of. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> but that's pretty much the only time this movie does something like the first one did in that regard, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, you could argue that I mean, this, it's, it would be so subtle that you could argue it either way, but there's like another bit where they're doing the, po- that's the potion scene between him and Scooby and he gives Scooby like what he thinks is the, an- uh, the antidote. And he says like, here, Scoob, this looks medicinal, but like, you know, it could <laughs> yeah. go either way on that one. <laughs> But it is very, it is very, very kid focused. And yeah. it's kind of interesting to say that that you said it was like a cartoon because at certain points in the movie, it does literally turn it into a cartoon. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> there are several, there are several moments in this movie that are wholly CG. Um, the one, there's the opening tile sequence, of course. There's the hillside slide down. And then there is the, um, a loss of the climax, especially yeah. with, with the big tar monster. A lot of that is like holy CG. Yeah. And given it's 2004, it's looking a little bit ropey. I it mean, sure is. I mean, it could be worse. Have you watched Van Helsing recently? I mean, I remember no. that looking pretty bad at the time. And that was the same year that this came out. Oh, my God. I've not gone back to see that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it is a delight. Did I mention that's in 4K these days? What? Just to, just to see how bad those effects Why? are. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't even have a 4K Scooby-Doo. Are you kidding me? This is what the people demand. We we want to see those fur textures. Damn yeah, it. we do. <laughs> I well, like so. You you mentioned the like sliding down the hill, the the you know surfing down the the mountainside or whatever. For some reason, that sequence is just in 
incredibly forgettable to me. Like it, it, the amount of times I've watched this movie, I couldn't tell you any like specifics that happened during that. It's just, maybe it's just because at that point in the movie, so much had been going on that my brain just tunes out every time it gets to that point. It's but I don't very know busy. It is yeah. a very busy film, but that sequence is really forgettable. And I could kind of forgive the fact that you turn off during that sequence because as soon as nothing, as soon as all the live action elements just disappear, I think you just that's go, what it is. <laughs> you I, I just think completely you're right. lose interest. I think you're absolutely right. That's what it is to me. Like, and it's also because that scene, it's like, it has to have a lot of action going on, but it's also at night. So it's kind of hard to see everything that's, that's going on. Maybe that's just my TV. I don't know, but like, it's, it is quite hard actually to see what's yeah. going on. And what's in the deleted scene section, there is actually like part of that scene or a very small chunk of it, but they presented it in this horrendous animatic form. Yeah. But at least that's slightly more visible than the final version, which looks a lot more polished. It looks really ropey in the deleted version. Yeah. But even so, you just go, they put a lot of time and effort into this and it's still doesn't look all that great i mean i'll give them a little bit of credit the opening title sequence actually looks really good it still I holds like up that. yeah but a lot of the other effects in the film are inconsistent to say the least yeah there's the bit where they go to peter boyle's house and the mechanism gets them in the trap and mm-hmm. you can blatantly see the green screen the green, outline yeah. as they go in <laughs> Yeah, that has bothered me since day one, and I've not, I've, I've not brought it up on this podcast, but but thank you for doing so, because yeah, it's very clear, especially when it drops, it's got like the, the motion blur on it that just emphasizes all like the green trail coming off of it for that, yeah. for that moment. It's so bizarre. And you wonder who approved that effect, and you, like I'd imagine it's pretty difficult because of the because of the um the character's clothing they wear both blue and green so that makes it really difficult to sort of get a color sort of to knock out but even so i'm like someone didn't really do a great job of cutting out here did they (laughs) that's a good point i could i could imagine that the justification was well you know it's old man wickles we we established that he you know tracks randomonium back to his house so maybe that green glow is randomonium yeah (laughs) that that is a question that we can only pose to director raja gosnell who is an auteur of dog movies in fact, he is just an auteur in general. I mean, you just only have to look at the body of work that he's produced. He is a man that clearly knows exactly what kind of films he wants to make. And that is mostly family movies with heavy reliance on talking animals. And look, I mean, there's a demographic for that. And I think it's everyone. I think everyone wants that. He, ha- he has a niche. And he mostly sticks to it. I mean, <laughs> this is the guy that has made both the Scooby-Doo movies. Right. He made the first Beverly Hills Chihuahua. He you kicked sure off did. that f- successful franchise. Oh, yeah. How many sequels does that have nowadays? It's got its own, like, cinematic yeah. universe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, he made this year's classic, Show Dogs, a movie so fantastic, they had to censor it for U.S. audiences to remove the dirty dancing sketch. <laughs> oh, God. Because it had a because that movie, of course, had a whole subplot about the dog not liking his his balls being 
judged. That, oh, that was okay. a thing. Of course. Yes. Yeah, of course. Now, I- am I mistaken in, in understanding that all of these movies are connected together into the, the cinematic dog universe? I think we've got we've got to have we've got to have them all linked together i think it especially yeah, because you could you can include gosnell's other work like uh, the smurfs in there as well i mean mm. there's a there's a lot to be said about that i mean the gosnell universe even extends as far into crossing over with the home alone franchise because of course he edited the the home alone movies i think the first two and he did the home alone 3 Oh. And even got never been kissed the Drew Barrymore classic. That's it's, incredible. It's, it's such a wide universe. I mean, well, Home Alone three had Scarlett Johansson in it, so clearly he helped kickstart her career from a young age. So yeah. I think we have him to thank. For- I mean, it it was her appearance in that movie that made Robert Redford go. She's perfect for the Horse Whisperer. Absolutely, yep. <laughs> we are doing some deep cuts here. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, listeners. You are welcome. (laughs) I'm just imagining them going, I think I remember that movie once. (laughs) Just frantically IMDb-ing. Does he he have IMDb open? No, I don't. (laughs) I just know this shit off the top of my head. Clearly, I have lived a very productive, charmed life. Oh, incredible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, well, this movie is just... Uh, you could take it in so many different directions. I will I will say that, like, yeah, a lot of the CGI doesn't hold up, but I'm glad you brought up the deleted scenes because I, I just recently, a fan... Because they're not on Netflix, obviously. Netflix mm. doesn't do that sort of thing. But a fan sent me a YouTube video uh, with them... Uh, and I, I kind of like some of them, but other, like the, the, you know, the weird animatic of the, you know, more surfing down the mountainside because that scene doesn't stick out to me that much. I was like, did this, are you sure this is a deleted scene? Like what was deleted about this? This kind of seems like what it was in the movie, but maybe yeah, some I of them are absolutely it. tiny, like really tiny ones, but some of them. Like the the deleted scenes really vary as they usually do in deleted scene sections in terms of how complete they are, but one of them is definitely complete. Um, the one that interested me the most is probably the longest deletion in that there is actually an on screen version of the break in at the museum, yes. which is the original introduction of the 10,000 volt ghost. That's the first time we see him. Yeah, that's Originally. right. And, and, um, uh, and they also further establish briefly uh, the cotton candy glob gets a little close up before they steal that costume, which I think is I my one of my biggest complaints about this film is just that <laughs> it doesn't establish characters very well. And so like the fact that the cotton candy glob just kind of comes out of nowhere at the end, like to find out that it was established earlier, even briefly during that deleted scene, I was like, oh, okay, that at least they thought of it while they were filming. It just didn't yeah, make there, it. There's more in the bar, isn't there? Because um, they, they yes. meet the cotton candy gob guy, doesn't he? And he points his, he points himself out on the ceiling. He is technically still in the movie, but yeah. you wouldn't know who he is. He's the guy that wears, he's the big guy that wears the pink shirt. Yeah. 
So yeah. he is technically there, but they cut all of that. So weirdly, it has no introduction. But and- I am I am a complete maniac. I listened to the audio commentary for the what? deleted scenes as well. There is no feature audio commentary for some reason. But Gosnell decided to record audio commentary for the deleted scenes. Enlighten me, please. What insights do we get from that mind, from that man's mind? Well, the insights that we discover is that he takes himself surprisingly seriously, considering the kind of movies that he makes, I guess. Because at one point he refers to the fact that he actually read the reviews by the critics. He said, oh, well, the critics kind of slammed us a little bit for getting too emotional, having too much character in it. I'm like, is is that a thing that critics normally say about movies like this? (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting that he just seemed to take that to heart. Wow. But I, I believe yeah. I believe his logic for cutting the um the museum scene was generally that it was too long because there's that whole bit with the guards trying to shock each other like static yes. shock each other. That like, was that was very bizarre. I feel like yeah that that was my biggest complaint about that sequence was it was that whole it was just set up so that we could kind of see the power of the ten thousand volt ghost, but it was just a really long, unnecessary set up it felt like because like i don't know i i kind of get why they cut it because if all they wanted to do was show the break-in sure um but also show the power of the ten thousand volt ghost his power is in his name he's got ten thousand volts and he's a ghost so uh, seems unnecessary well it also makes sense as well because obviously it's more surprising when it happens off screen and it's revealed that way yeah and also uh, uh, the reason is apparently that the way that it was positioned was right after Seth Green picks up Velma and company. And obviously, when you position it there, you can really tell that it doesn't belong at all. Yeah, that's true. It's just, I mean, I have many issues with Seth Green's character in this yeah. film. He, you know, they they so clearly want him to be to like to fool you they so much so that everything makes way more sense like the fact that it's not him as the villain makes less sense than if it was him as the villain i wonder if that was like a last minute rewrite maybe i feel like it kind of has to be like i feel like there there must have been some deleted you know scenes or, or just things that never got filmed involving his character uh, or even just Old Man Wickles as well, because the two of them kind of disappear from the movie at a certain point and then pop up right at the very end. Yeah, it's kind of very strange, especially because um, Seth Green's character kind of teleports, doesn't he, at one point, because he's at the museum, and then all of a sudden, he's with um, Shaggy and Scooby, almost instantaneously, even though yeah. they're across the sea from each other, which is a bit of a yeah. weird thing. You'd think that, yeah... The- <laughs> Unless Shaggy and Scooby really spent a lot of time in that dumpster outside of the the faux ghosts, which, I mean, who knows? Maybe they did. I did have a fan, and I apologize for for not remembering. I'm I'm the worst with remembering who tweets me things. But somebody had a really interesting idea about imagine if when the monsters are taking over the city, um, that whole sequence, uh, if they went to the faux ghost and kind of like the monsters terrorize the people who like that brought them to life kind of like, you know, you'd have 
uh, you'd see the cotton candy glob terrorizing the guy who was the cotton candy glob. You know what that I mean? Ma- that makes sense. That that would be an interesting idea. I that think would be interesting because my biggest thing about the faux ghost is that it doesn't need to be in the movie. Nothing is really accomplished at that scene. You could cut it entirely and it would be, you wouldn't really miss anything. But so, then we wouldn't have a dance number. Oh, right. speaking of which, got some, uh, tit- it's got some tidbits from the commentary there. Um, Scooby dancing in that scene is not um, is not um, like the rest of the film where they've kind of composited Scooby in with nothing there. Mm-hmm. It is actually um, they did actually have a reference for that. There is actually a reference dancer who I think is also in the scene somehow, but that they huh. put the CGI Scooby on top of her. Really. That's mm. fascinating. So, because so, so, I always thought, and maybe this is what you're saying, like that it was a person dressed from like feet to neck as as Scooby, but then they just like CGI'd the head of Scooby on top. Is that what they did, or was it just fully like mocapped or something? I think I, th- I think they kind of they didn't mocap. They just sort of yeah. CGI'd on top of her. Just sort of like like keyframed it basically, I think. Because wow. a lot of the a lot of the time, the Scooby effects are basically, they're essentially Matthew Lillard talking to nothing. And if you want to get a good feel for what that's like, you should watch the deleted scenes because yes. the final one does have a Scooby that kind of disappears through the scene because they yeah. obviously hadn't finished it, like the like the museum scene. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gives you a real sense of what Matthew Lillard must have endured during this shoot, which is a, a bit of Roger Rad- Rabbit syndrome. Yeah. And what Did I love about that- Did you ever hear about that, that story of, um, of Bob Hoskins working on on Roger Rabbit, where he, he actually had to go to a psychiatrist because he got so used to talking to nothing? <laughs> really? I, I apparently I remember, remember that he had trouble with that. That's incredible. <laughs> That's- uh, I mean, like, I'm not one to talk because I, I've, I, I quote unquote think out loud, like I've ever since I was a kid. So like, even if I'm just alone, I'll be like, okay, here's what I got. I'm like, I'm not talking to a thing, but I'm certainly, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's good to know that I'm not crazy then, unless you are a figment of my imagination. In which case, ooh, spooky Halloween twist. Oh, but like, yeah, what I love about that deleted scene with Matthew Lillard um, is it's the only time in the movie where they mention Scooby Snacks. It's the only time they mention it directly. Yeah. yeah, There is a very passing moment in the final film. I think it's when they're in the um when they're in old man's mansion very briefly you see a scooby snack but they don't mention what it is oh i thought that was just the girl scout cookies that he bought is it it the girl scout i I can't remember (laughs) it's i don't know i always thought that they could have merged those two because because like in certain lores scooby snacks are just like mass manufactured things that you can buy uh especially for you know it was established in the first movie because mary jane would eat scooby snacks as well so i don't know i I would assume maybe she's like like mel gibson in lethal weapon she's just eating dog biscuits to to distract her from smoking 
That'll do it. Yeah, why yeah. not? <laughs> I like building a headcanon around that sort of thing. And but like I always thought it would be good if if the if the Girl Scouts like were selling Scooby snacks because it was already established that like oh these are just things that other people can buy. So like what if that was how they tied it in to that uh, yeah. to that movie? But they just, I don't know just kind of Girl Scouts. But when he in the deleted scene when he like feeds Scooby the imaginary Scooby the snack. It just he just kind of like drops it from his hand. Which is like, <laughs> it kind of gives you a sense of like, man, he because re- that's even a very emotional scene. I feel, and that that might be why they cut it because that that scene would have been really close to the other one where yeah. um, Fred and Daphne are laying on the ground, and Daphne's like, "So this is it, huh?" Mm. And I feel like all of that would just be, and then of course. Velma's whole speech about to Shaggy and Scooby about how they're brave to be themselves. It just feels like too many speeches and also too many downer speeches all yeah. back to back. And that might have been why they cut that. It does it does show that Matthew Lillard is really good as Shaggy. I think it's yeah. I I I don't think it's appreciated enough just how good he is, and that's saying something considering that he's pretty much the de facto voice actor for Shaggy now, isn't he? He sure is, yeah. And he he does an amazing job in this movie. And considering that he spends large chunks of this movie pretty much by himself having to act off nothing, that's even more of an accomplishment. Yeah, and the fact that... Because even we did get a scene that was kept in the movie... Uh, fairly early on in the kitchen when the gang is kind of talking about Shaggy and Scooby behind their backs about how they're screw-ups. And Shaggy is still very sad there and talking about how, you know, they're screw-ups and they can't do anything right. And I feel like even just his ability to capture that emotion while still doing a voice that sounds kind of ridiculous and yes. kind of cartoony, that's like genuinely impressive, I think. Did you get the impression that they were kind of struggling to fit Scooby into his own movie sometimes? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that kind of crossed my mind a couple of times, especially in, I think, right around that section. There's a couple of, because they kind of just shoehorn in gags with Scooby because they're like, what's Scooby doing in this scene? Um, bunny. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I... I know a lot of people think that's a funny joke to me. That's just like, they just needed Scooby to do something. And that was like a funny non sequitur for children. Like Scooby-Doo, what's your conclusion? That's exactly how it plays to me as well. And you just get the, you just get the sense that in certain scenes, they're like, well, the CGI guys are going to come up with something. Yeah, because I will say that the animators who worked on Scooby, because I've done a couple watch throughs now where I, um, specifically focus on different characters, whether, you know, if they're in the background or whatever. And I I enjoy watching what the animators did with Scooby because he actually does have some kind of silly, kind of charming uh, animations to him. But I think you're absolutely right. It does feel like... It feels like, yeah, like the main play. It, it really feels like Velma and Shaggy are the, are the main characters of this movie and Scooby yeah. is just kind of sprinkled in there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know we ragged on the CGI earlier, but Scooby is good. Scooby is consistently good all the way through the movie. Yeah, I think he's pretty good. I, I, you know, obviously, uh, the test of time has not, uh, has not made it seem, uh, you know, completely photorealistic. But for, for the technology at the time, it's, it's surprisingly good. 
Speaking of the time, boy, <laughs> does watching this movie back feel like 2004. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really noticed this, in especially with regards to the costume design for this movie and just yeah. the general sort of production aspects of it. Because when you look at the costumes for each of the characters, the previous Scooby-Doo movie deliberately tried to have them in their original, like, cartoon costumes just literally yeah. translated for a lot of the running time in this it feels like they were kind of given the liberty to be a bit looser about it and update it and make it more modern yeah i mean modern for 2004 <laughs> and so it it really has the sort of early noughts fashion sense going on um yeah. the one that really came to my mind is the fact that um Shaggy doesn't just wear his um, green t-shirt, he wears a white long sleeve tee underneath it. And uh, Oh, he sure does. Man, that, that, was, uh, that was definitely a look back then. And yep. I definitely, I definitely <laughs> wore that for longer than that was a popular oh. thing to do. Oh God, me too. That was, <laughs> I, I actually was looking back through old photos of myself from high school and I absolutely wore that that kind of outfit constantly and See, i look, looking ashamed. back at old photos of yourself from high school is a good way of making yourself able to cringe your face onto <laughs> yourself like a like a car compactor it really is and like because i i had i feel like my whole family and we've all discussed this my my brother and sister we all had a very rough transition uh, from childhood to adulthood in oh, terms yeah. of in terms of looks like more so than anyone else we're like we were super cute kids and then we like hit our teenage years and we were hideous monster creatures <laughs> and then once we all hit around our 20s we were just like actually we're all we're all kind of attractive again aren't we hell yeah <laughs> but there was that time period where all of us were just disgusting <laughs> I do love that um the the um Shaggy's long sleeve shirt also uh, magically comes back when it sure he, when, does when he repotions uh, that he, that mystery ink branded <laughs> tea is <laughs> is super right. strong stuff. Well, because his his clothing his shirt specifically changes depending on like so he's got like a female like like a like a woman's cut version of it when he turns into he's got the the woman body under his you know mask. Matthew Lillard head. Yeah. And then he becomes buff and it turns into a tank top as well. And then <laughs> finally it goes back to being the the regular how it was before. I don't know. I don't know how that potion works, but it's incredible. As, as far as the other looks goes, um, doesn't Daphne wear a shirt with not only her name on it, but also her <laughs> own on. face, which yep. is, um, that is definitely a bold look to try and pull off. I'm not sure she really carries that. <laughs> Hey man, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm currently wearing a shirt with my own face on it, and I think I look pretty rad. <laughs> no, that that has been ever since that was pointed out to me. That is probably my favorite thing. Uh, that is so funny to me. And I will say, uh, talking about the fashion, there's one tiny little detail about um, Velma's outfit that I actually really enjoy, which is certain points she's wearing like kind of a utility belt uh, mm. with, with certain, like all these different pockets and, and, you know, it kind of makes her look like she's, 
I don't know. It just adds something to her personality that's like, yeah, she's prepared. She's always got a tool for the job, even though she doesn't use it. The person yeah. who's like the most prepared is Daphne, who like helps him helps get them out of the cage with MacGyvering her way out of it, which is mm. a really cool idea. But I just thought that was a really interesting costume choice to not only just give Velma just the classic orange, but to also have like something that looked very utilitarian. Yeah, and that's very cool. They don't they don't actually wear the um a lot of the sort of classic costumes in this movie. In fact, the closest you get to that is when Shaggy and Scooby wear them and their CGI elements. Yeah. And like cuz Shaggy's is so simple. It's just a green shirt and brown yeah. pants and that's that that's something that's fairly uh timeless. So it's it's easy to and then, of course, they somehow managed to put a timestamp on it with that long <laughs> shirt underneath. But for the most part, at least the, he did have a really cool jacket or like for like one scene when he when they were like uh, they were like uh, scoping out the faux ghost. And he had this like really interesting brown jacket. I was like, that's yeah. a good jacket. I kind of dig that. Um, I, I do think it's interesting that um, Freddie Prince, Prince Jr. has clearly changed his look between movies. Because yeah. um, that's pretty apparent, especially with his hair. His hair is much longer in yeah. this second movie than it is the first one. So they clearly have sort of like the publicity photos from the first movie. And so every time they have to use a photo of Fred, it's always a photo from the first movie, which <laughs> awkwardly doesn't match his look now. No. And like, I actually really liked the way he looked in the first movie. Like, I don't know. It just looked more clean cut, classic Fred kind of style. This, Yeah. This felt like it was very, it almost felt like they were trying to make him look younger, which honestly, maybe that was the case. Maybe he just looked, they thought he looked too old for the role. Some of the, I think even Matthew Lillard, his his look was pushing like, these characters are, are supposed to be pretty young, but I don't, I don't think that the, these actors are quite reflecting that, but. They did uh, kind of acknowledge that though, later on in the movie, when they go, when they go back to their old hideout, they have mm-hmm. that little flashback, don't they? So they do yeah. kind of acknowledge, eh, kind of getting on a I'm bit getting old yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, but man. um it's a uh, it's great that you brought up uh shaggy's pants because uh we've got some discussing to do yes okay i'm super curious about this we were discussing this was uh before we started recording right Yes. Briefly, you teased me with this idea of Shaggy's pants and some sort of. Well, I'll let you describe it. Okay, so I was I bought the DVD version for a princely sum of fifty pence, and I was sort of rummaging around the DVD menus because this is sort of the sort of prime era of DVD where they would actually put hidden Easter eggs on the menus. And I knew the first film had an Easter egg hidden in the special features menu. It's actually a regular bonus feature on the Blu-ray. It's a tiny little featurette um, about how when they were shooting in Australia for the first movie, they were besieged by rain. They kept getting rained off constantly and so um, on the first movie's DVD, if you, um, I think it's something like, if you hit right on the special features menu, it comes up, zoinks, and that little featurette is what you get. And so I was rummaging around on the sequel, and suddenly I saw a pair of trousers, or pants to you American hmm. folks. And I was like, huh, is this it? So I click it, and I get this news report, this Coolsville news report, and it turns out that on the set of Scooby-Doo 2, 
someone's stolen all of the pairs of pants they have for Shaggy. And who could have done it? Oh, man. It's a mystery. That's right. It turns out I'd accidentally stumbled on an interactive game called The Search for Shaggy's Pants. And clearly, this was shot on on the set of the movie and they were having a bit of fun kind of going well what could be a fun game for children to introduce them to the world of filmmaking it's essentially a load of little tiny featurettes where the news reporter goes around asking various members of the cast and crew for who might have stolen shaggy's pants now, admittedly, my version of VLC was broken, so I couldn't actually get it to play any more than the first one, except I cheated and just went through the titles, because they're all in a big row, essentially. So I just watched them back to back. They're kind of annoying when you do it that way, because oh, yeah. they all open the same way with the same kind of cheesy rock tune. But it's uh, they managed to talk to quite a few people on that movie, some uh, quite important people show up in that, like a uh, writer James Gunn turns up. What? Yep, Incredible. he turns up, and he. Speaking of two thousand four, rocking the fr- the frosted tips. Ah, uh, I love yep. it. Yeah, he he's got the classic two thousand four look about him. Ah. <sighs> That's oh, fantastic. Yes. <laughs> uh, some other key members of the cast don't show up in it. Like, you won't see Freddie Prince Jr. You mm-hmm. won't see Sarah Michelle Gellar. You not. will see director Roger Gosnell. He does drop by in it. And uh, Linda Cardellini turns up in it as well. She Ooh. was a good sport. Uh, yeah. Funny enough, this was, the, uh, this was one of two movies I saw with her in the same week. I also saw her in that movie that she's in currently, Hunter Killer. It's crap. Don't watch it. Anyway, back to the, <laughs> back to the pants. So uh, Seth Green also turns up in this. And, of course uh, he does. Spoiler alert. <gasps> so it turns out the mystery of the pants is that the prop manager stole them. He's been stealing props and eBaying them. And then in a postscript, it turns out the person that bought them was Seth Green. <laughs> because Seth what? Green was sort of going, well, I don't know about any pants, but you know what? They are quite nice pants. They're, you know, they're corduroy. You know, they're really nice. And so you get this scene that pops up, which is meant to be some sort of hidden camera, but is blatantly someone in Seth Green's trailer just holding a camera and they just put some effects on it. And he's yeah. sort of posing in a mirror going, oh man, these pants, they're so comfortable. They look really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, busted. <laughs> pops up on screen. <laughs> this cul-de-sac was worse. It. You know what? That's kind of a better mystery story than the movie itself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is on the Blu-ray or not. Because I was trying to I was trying to find reviews of it. Because this doesn't seem like the sort of bonus feature that would be easy to translate. It might be only on the DVD. That's amazing. I have to track that down. I have to find it. People send it to me, please. I desperately need it. I mean, I'm, I I didn't look at all the extras. I mean, 
I've got some uh, I've got some other ones that I probably should have looked at before, like uh, Dancing Dog, how they made Scooby-Doo dance, and how you can dance just like him. No. <laughs> that, that first part was, like, genuinely interesting. Like, yeah, I, I'd be interested to know how they did that scene, and then how to dance just like him. Get out of here. Come on. I don't need to know that. Oh, come on. We... We we both know that no one can top Scooby's moves. Of course. Well, you got to do the wig flip, which is very mm. tricky. And then, of course, you have to bark during certain parts of the song. It's just, it, there's a lot of coordination that you need. Absolutely. Oh, that's, I got to get my hands on, on some of these special features. I, on I've these just been watching DVD tidbits. Yeah. I've just been watching it on Netflix and I feel like I'm missing at least half of the story. Like just half of the story of this film. Physical media rules. <laughs> you won me out. I'll have to go pick it up. I, this is day 29. So I don't have too many days left to go check it out. Uh, but I might, I, I've missed a couple days this month just because I'm so busy working on video stuff. Mm. And I did promise people at the beginning of this podcast that there would be 31 episodes. So even though there, I've missed like five or so episodes and we're approaching day 31, I might push myself to, to fill in the gaps a little bit and to, uh, to finally deliver on full 31 episodes you, you definitely should you definitely need to watch this 31 times yeah <laughs> i mean I need it's the that. subtle nuances that really pop out once you start getting around like day 25 then you really start to see the <laughs> hidden say genius at work here you say that but there are genuinely moments that people fans have been pointing out these really interesting ideas and i've been noticing little subtle things and i'm just like wow, that is like kind of smart and kind of interesting. And, but it's, yeah, it takes a bit. Uh, in fact, I, I, something that I still need to check out is apparently one of this, I don't know if it was a special feature or an interview that Freddie Prince Jr. did. I keep forgetting to watch it. The biggest thing that, that we've all been stuck on, everyone who's ever seen this movie, has it's been haunting them for years, is trying to figure out what Fred's exact motivation is. I think I've, <laughs> I've kind of got a grasp on all the other characters because Shaggy and Velma are pretty straightforward. That's like what the movie spends a lot of time on. Velma was a bit tricky, but I think we cracked her in a previous episode. But Fred, I can't figure out. And someone sent me a link to an interview that he did, I think, where he talks about Fred's motivation. So maybe it's just that simple. Maybe I just need to click a YouTube video and, and spend like three minutes of my time and finally I'll understand. Well, don't they say that f that Fred is kind of the leader? He's the one that holds the group together, like the glue? I'm, I, I'm guessing that's yeah. a little bit tenuous, to be honest, because it doesn't really seem like he actually no. does a lot other than as ostensibly their front man. In the in in doing interviews, but otherwise, right. um, uh, I guess he really really likes hanging out and investigating ghosts. I mean, it looks like they've really kind of legitimized their business. I mean, they've oh, got yeah. a full sort of office and everything. The yeah. looks of it, they're not. I mean, when they say Mystery Incorporated, they really mean it. Like they are an actual corporation of yeah. They of they they, they seem to have more merch than someone's Redbubble page. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they gotta they gotta support the their that gigantic headquarters somehow. Do you think Mystery Inc. has a Patreon? 
You know, in this day and age, absolutely they would. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what do you think the perks would be on something like that? <laughs> I I feel like it would it would start off small, like maybe maybe you'd get Scooby Doo to say your name, you know, because like that's kind of silly and fun uh, or something. And then like I don't know, I ten my- ten, del- ten dollars and up, and you get Scooby snacks through the mail. Yeah, that's probably it. Be yeah, sort of for like sure. A- be sort of like a, if you adopted a dog, you keep getting updates on what Scooby's doing in the uh, post. I believe they're called pup dates. Get it right. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but and then I, I feel like at a certain level, you would get a Mystery Inc. branded long sleeve tee that you could wear under your t-shirts. Yes. You definitely have it like in the movie where it's mm-hmm. branded on the sleeve. On the sleeve. You can't, because if it's branded on the chest, how are, has anyone going to see that? Oh, exactly. under your other t-shirt that you're wearing. It's impossible. That presumably also has the Mystery Ink logo on it. <laughs> Somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> Velma was the only one that I don't think was wearing a Mystery Ink branded something in this mm. movie. Because even, I think Fred had, I think he had a jacket or a t-shirt or something. But Velma was just, I don't know, I guess it was too orange. They were just like, it doesn't really go with our logo. I, don't know. I do love that their logo, I think it's the Mission Impossible font or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it definitely is. And the, fact <laughs> that and the fact that the logos are still M.I. is... I wonder if that was intentional. I don't know. <laughs> that is very silly, though. I would love it. In fact, everyone, I like to assign homework occasionally <laughs> on these. If you want to... Uh, I, I'm, I like this idea of a Mystery Inc patreon go go to itunes and leave a review and your review will be what you think the patreon tiers for mystery incorporated (laughs) would be or tweet at me that's fine as well but i'm just saying you get more space on an itunes review and it helps Mm. me out so you know just just go do it yeah Uh, see that's how that's what we call a call to action in the business you're familiar you know how this yes works. absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh well is there anything else you want to add before we do some more calls to action to end this show you know what i think we have covered all the ground we that have. we could have possibly covered and then some <laughs> i think we covered as much ground as shaggy and scooby surfing down a mountainside it definitely felt CG. like that while we were recording this. Absolutely. Yes. It felt like a roller coaster ride. <laughs> it was bumpy. It was scary. In the end, though, it was a nice landing. I think we stuck the landing in the end. Oh, there. oh actually, I can think of one final thing. <gasps> yes, Going please. back to the pants, Scooby's <laughs> in it. Yeah, uh, Scooby, Scooby is in it. Okay. Yes, yeah, Scooby does briefly pop up in it, but they you can clearly tell they just sort of reuse whatever animation assets they had to hand and just dubbed it over because it doesn't match whatsoever. It's just oh. a voice actor going, I don't know. God, I need to see these. I need it's it's so high up on my list of things that i need to like i have to make videos i i'm traveling tomorrow all of that gets put on the back burner until i can see these special features you have yes. truly painted uh, a picture that i need to lay my eyes on so thank you so much for that you need to go to full 2004 get a portable dvd player and bring that with you on the flight 
You're absolutely right. I, I I definitely need to do that. God, I remember. You know what's interesting about that is I am positive my my family had a uh, a minivan with the world's tiniest TV in it, <laughs> and it it played VHS tapes, not DVDs. Oh, but, oh wow! But you could have uh in in like a DVD input. Um, but you had to like bring your own DVD player. So I am positive that there were times where we watched Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed through just this bulky DVD player that just loosely sat somewhere in the minivan (laughs) connected to the world's smallest television. And I was the only person out of my whole, out of all my siblings who is remotely interested in that movie. I I remember forcing them to watch it and everyone was like, this is dumb. (laughs) Oh man, I I I am glad that I have unlocked that nugget of this. Yes. <laughs> See, the most nostalgia that I have of riding with a portable DVD player in the back of a car is watching Futurama and getting very very sick because I suffer from motion sickness and oh, throwing God. up in Salisbury. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm the same way. I I don't know how I was able to like play game boy uh when i was a kid like driving in a car like i today i could i'm not even able to look at my phone for too long before i'm just like mm, gotta put that yeah. down Mo- motion sickness sucks <laughs> it is the worst <sighs> have you ever tried um ever tried uh, motion sickness and jet lag together that's always fantastic oh i feel like i'm about to uh when i go traveling in a <laughs> in a couple hours Oh, doesn't I, sound I, I don't fun. recommend it. I no. <laughs> doesn't sound like a grand old time. <sighs> uh, but you know, it does sound like a grand old time. Mm. Plugging your channel and stuff on the internet. Boy, I'm great at segues, huh? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Where um, can people find more of you if they want to hear your voice and thoughts? Okay, so if you want to see and hear more of my stuff, you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Film Brain. Uh, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Film Brain. You might have noticed a theme arising here. Uh, I have a Twitter, FB underscore BMB, because Film Brain was already taken. Um, I have a Tumblr, Film Brain BMB. I have a Facebook called Film Brain, again. I think that's all of them. <laughs> we will have as many links as we can possibly shove in the show notes. So we'll go check those out. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for, for being on, man. This was a super fun conversation. Thank you. So thank you for enlightening me about these DVD extras. I, I, I feel like I have unlocked a treasure trove. <laughs> you, I feel like we've scratched the surface. I need to dive in for myself we're beyond the looking glass here we sure are (laughs) uh and if you want to follow uh me on social medias you don't have to but it's just scott nicewander everywhere on uh instagram and twitter i have a youtube channel i never plug it because it's not really related to this at all but it's called nerd sync go check it out if you like comics and superheroes and stuff like that we have a really fun video coming up about uh teen titans i'm tempted to do a scooby-doo video uh, so st- stay tuned for that. But either way, that's not important. Uh, what's important is ending this podcast strong. Would you like to join me in doing our best Scooby Dooby Doo together to end the show? 
Alrighty. Super 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 Super